0: Welcome to the Make Money Behave podcast, where we talk about your money, your circumstances, and the small changes in your behavior that will have a big impact on both. My name is Maria Casillas, and I am honored to be your host. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Make Money Behave. Today, I am so excited to have one of my favorite people when it comes to the psychology of money. Derek Hagan is here. He has decided that he would love to come on and help you guys understand one of my favorite topics that he talks about, and that is money scripts. Now, you may have heard me you referenced this before about like how we think about money, where some of that stuff comes from, but there is no one that I trust to share that information more succinctly for you than Mr. Derek Hagan. So Derek, thank you so much for being on the Make Money Behave podcast today.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: You are so welcome. Now, when I reached out to you and asked you for this topic, were, were you like, I know nothing about that? <laughs> or were you like, yeah, I, I, I talk about money scripts in my sleep?
1: Yeah, in my sleep and everywhere else, it's it's part of my core.
0: Yes, yeah. So, could you tell us a little bit about how you happened upon this whole concept, and what what would you like to share with us about you and your practice, and and just how you came upon this today?
1: Kind of a long journey. I I grew up or came up in my career through something called external finance or exterior finance, which there's a distinction that I make between exterior finance and interior finance. Exterior is outside of us. That's nuts and bolts, that's mechanics of money, that's strategies, information, data, charts, all that kind of stuff. So I came up in the world of investments. Right. That's Yeah. That's what most people think about when they think about personal finance. The spreadsheets and calculators version of it. And so this might sound familiar to you if you ever had some part of your financial life that you were trying to fix and you'd think, I just need to find a better strategy or I just need some more information or if I could just find the right data, I'd finally have enough and I would get it to work. Yeah, That's exterior finance and that's where I grew up. So it was working in an investment firm, trading, which means buying and selling stocks and bonds and then into financial planning, but still on the exterior side. So how can I help you, a client, find the best strategies in all of these areas of your... Financial life, estate planning, investments, cash flow, insurance, all that. Mm-hmm. Then in 2017, I I started learning more about listening and the different kinds of listening. It's amazing how once you go down that rabbit hole, how many different kinds of listening there are. So there's active listening yeah. and there's reflective listening and there's exquisite listening, and all this, all this <laughs> stuff. So I read an article about exquisite listening and they in this article they referenced a seminar a a listening seminar so I went to Nashville and learned from Dr. Ted Klontz how to listen it was a whole weekend on how to listen which sounds kind of funny (laughs) exactly a whole weekend like nine to five three days how do you listen and so that changed the trajectory of my my life because it wasn't just how to listen. Of course, everything funneled down to how do you listen. But this was a lot of psychology. It was neuroscience. It was nonviolent communication. It was basic needs. It was physiology. And that's when I really realized that this money stuff is not really an information problem. It's it's a behavior problem and it's a psychology problem. Yep. So I shifted my whole career there towards financial psychology and how do you implement this stuff? So it's kind of like you know, you kind of know what you're supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to eat less and exercise more. Mm-hmm. That's not the problem. I know that. So mm-hmm. my problem is doing it. And mm-hmm. that's in personal finance, except that's newer. You know, most of us, again, like I said earlier, we already, we're, we're kind of searching for that golden idea of diet. I need to diet or I need to exercise. What's the exercise strategy? That's the person, that's the exercise version of, of what yep. we do with our finances, but what's instead, the right
0: system that's going to get me what I want to get, right? Right, yep,
1: yep, yep, yep. And then we found that that doesn't really work. So, in the world of working out or nutrition, it's finding a diet coach or a personal trainer to help you do the stuff to find the exercises that are going to work with you, to find a diet that you're okay with, that you'd actually be happy to eat. Well, that's this is the finance equivalent of that. What? Yes is going on in your brain, what's your motivation, what's your values, what's your stories that you tell yourself, and how can we use those to help you design a life that you'd be happy to look back on?
0: Yes, rather than what the typical approach is, is to just like take all of these different systems, the options that we have, and then try to fit the person into those systems. And what you're describing is figure out who the person is, and then figure out which systems, kind of, tweak those so that they are something that the son that the someone you're working with really actually would stick to because it it's almost tailored to them and their needs and their desires and their motivation and, and all of that
1: absolutely it's it's the there's an idea that if you can find a suboptimal strategy that you'll do that's 100 times better than the perfect strategy that you're not going to do
0: Amen. And this is exactly why I wanted to have you on here. Uh, Before we get into that, I am kind of curious. Was your wife really glad that you went to that listening conference for an entire weekend?
1: (laughs) Yeah, of course she was. I'm sure. (laughs) She she already knew all this stuff. This came easy to her. Uh Uh, So it was happy. She was happy to have somebody who now shared the same listening first perspective, seek to understand over try to be right. Yes,
0: yes. That and you know, we talk a lot about um, because I coach other financial coaches as well. And oftentimes, it has nothing to do with what to coach. It's all about how to coach, how to listen, how to how to listen in order to understand, not listen to respond, like so many people are like basically trained to do, because they think they have the answer. And so they're just waiting for the opportunity to throw that answer into that person's lap. And it's like, that that's not it. Like, did you hear what they just said? (laughs) Like Whatever they just said, said that that answer won't work for them. And yet you're so prescribed that that's what you give them. So I love that you're not going that way.
1: Yeah, and that's a whole mindset switch because that's exactly right. Most people want to be, they're trying to show how much I know. And I do Mm -hmm. that by inserting into the conversation this stuff that I know. But if you take a bigger picture view, there's an idea that, What you were going to blurt out, you already know that. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason you're not going to learn anything by blurting that out. Instead, if you listen, you might learn something new. So what you don't know is more important than what you do know. Mm -hmm. And you learn more by assuming that the person you're talking to might know something that you don't know. And your job as the listener is to help them articulate that.
0: Yes. And when we're looking and talking with somebody who is a client, I like to tell my clients that, I would be ridiculous to tell you that I know more about you than you know about you. Like, I've known you for 15 minutes. You've known Mm -hmm. you your whole life, right? So my job is not to pretend like I know what the solution is for you. My job is to help figure out what the solution is that's already inside of you and what is stopping you from acting on that solution. And so I I just think that that's really great. I'm so glad that you're here. Okay. So going back to the amen statement, uh, what was, what was you said before I said amen? Do you remember?
1: I think it was about fitting the, the advice to the person specifically. So a suboptimal strategy that you will implement is far preferred to a perfect strategy that you're yes. not going to you employ. hit the nail on
0: the head that is exactly what I said amen to uh you know so many times we think that it has to be perfect the the best strategy ever uh, and a lot of clients I think get stuck in guilt you know because they they know what they are allowed to do according to society according to other coaches according to gurus and that is one of my biggest frustrations and so look, we'll talk about needs versus wants for example and I'm just like we're just going to throw it out. Like I'm not even going to talk about needs versus wants, because the reality is our minds, we can justify anything. So if we want something badly enough, we can find a way to call it a need and have that be legit. And so let's just call it what it is. If it's a want, great. We don't have to get rid of all of our wants. We just need to decide what do we want? Why do we want it? And what do we want more? Right? What do we want most? So could you talk to us a little bit, Derek, about Money scripts in general, uh, what does that even mean? Like, could you give a definition? I've I've talked with you, and I love the definition, but I know a lot of my listeners, even though I've alluded to it, might not know exactly what that means.
1: Yeah, so a money script is a belief that you have about money, subconscious. So, which means unless you've done, unless you're the half of a percent of the population that's done it, you don't know that you have these beliefs. They literally operate underneath underneath conscious awareness. And so what does that mean? So an example, it's like a little rule or a little guide that you follow. So money doesn't grow on trees. You should save and not spend. You should only buy something if it's new. You should never talk about money. You should always talk about <laughs> money. You know Anything that you can think of, you shouldn't trust people with money. That's a simple statement like that is a money script. And they get in the way, or not in the way, they drive every one of your financial behaviors. Mm-hmm. So another way to think about this is every single financial behavior makes sense if you understand the money script that's driving it if you can understand the belief that's driving the behavior it makes perfect sense yeah so even from the outside looking in you'd say why did you just spend your whole paycheck on gambling at the casino or whatever mm-hmm. you know for me from the outside looking in this looks like a stupid move <laughs> but we don't know what that person's been through we don't know maybe they are in a jam and they think they, they've won before mm-hmm. and so you know, they've got something going on that this bet all in on Black 22, that made sense if you knew why they were driving mm-hmm. it. Uh, so there's subconscious beliefs that we have about money. And we can go a lot deeper or in different directions, but that's the definition that I like to roll Yeah, on. that's
0: great. And so if, if somebody is like, let's just take that example that you used, How do you find out? that that is the belief if you're how do you start digging deeper with those clients
1: There's a couple of ways that you can think about that so first step uh, for me working with clients those are people who go to see a professional but even on your Mm -hmm. own working by yourself you can start to think about why did i why do i think that so i'll so those are two avenues that we can explore i'll explore the first avenue first the on your own avenue okay and i like to think there's this brilliant Model called the ABC model, which stands for A being an adverse event, something happens, B is that we have some belief about it, and C is there's some consequence emotionally or uh, behaviorally. So, you know, that means I get angry or I get sad or I get envious, that would be an emotional consequence. I punch a wall, I raise my voice, I start crying uncontrollably, and I don't know why, those would be behavior, yeah, behavioral consequences. Okay. so. When you think through this, we're going to notice the C first, the consequence Mm -hmm. first. I had this feeling. I did this thing. What just happened? Mm -hmm. So you can ask yourself, what just happened? And that's, so you're searching for that A. You're searching for the activating event or the adverse event that happened. So I got really angry. Why? What just happened that got me angry? So you're searching for that A, and that could be whatever it is. You know, somebody cut me off, or somebody got promoted in front of me, or... You know, whatever happened, mm-hmm. there's all there's an infinite number of examples we could use. So you're not even so having to a dig deep a yet, in, right? Like the correct. okay, so this is literally surface Perfect. level. Why am I mad? I got mad. Why did I mm-hmm. get mad? Okay, and that's the easy stuff to answer. Mm-hmm. So I got mad because this I got promoted, or somebody else got promoted in front of me. I got really angry, envious, and I whatever got i punched a wall in the in the breaker okay. so then the question is so i've got my a and i've got my c now this is experientially what it feels like something happened and we did yeah. something something happened and i felt something yep. the profound nature of the a b c model is that there's a little b in there that called a belief mm-hmm. and just to back up really quick to give an example of why that belief matters I was listening to a podcast where an author that I love named Malcolm Gladwell was being interviewed and he, Gladwell was just doing some research on um, ketchup. And so he was like Heinz They were talking 57. about grocery okay. stores. Okay, all right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so his his question was you know, why are there 37 kinds of mustard and one kind of ketchup? Mm-hmm. Right. So that was the kind of question that he was asking. But that got them talking about grocery stores and so the host said you know, don't you hate it? Don't you hate it when you go to the front of the line and everybody's full and they don't have enough workers and every line you pick the other one's going faster, so you get in the lat line and you never pick the fastest line. And Gladwell said, You and I live in different universes, man. I don't even I don't even look. I just pick the line that's closest to where I was. I can't understand that. Don't you value your time, you know? <laughs> so same exact A, same exact activating mm-hmm. event. Long lines at the grocery okay. store. Two wildly different C's. One consequence was anger and fury. The other one was total zen-like calm. Why? Because one person had a belief, and I don't know if they're actual beliefs, but one person had a belief, something to the effect of my time is more valuable than other people's time, and another person had a belief of, well, this is how grocery stores work, <laughs> and it's only going to be five minutes, and I, I have five minutes. So, uh huh. So that's why those beliefs matter. Yeah. So back to the, the easy part is something happened, that's the C, why somebody else got promoted that's the a so then the, the question is why did this a lead to this c why did this thing lead to this anger this is where it takes a little bit of self-contemplation or journaling or you mm-hmm. know listening find a friend that's a good listener mm-hmm. and I've, i don't want to interrupt you you can dig deep there. but
0: just so i understand is this where we start to bring the subconscious to the conscious level is this what we're trying to find exactly. is that yep. subconscious belief, yep. but now we're now we're being aware of that, so we're bringing it up so that we can be aware of it, and now, now it's no longer subconscious.
1: Yeah, okay. exactly. Great way to put it, and th- th- you need to be non-judgmental with yourself mm. because if you were the host of this show that I was talking about, it's going to be uncomfortable for me to say, why do long checkout lines make me so angry and to come up with the answer that I value my time more than somebody else's <laughs> Right. these aren't conscious choices. Right. So it might be embarrassing, yeah. or it might be frustrating, or you know, you. But you have to do this non-judgmentally because this is the fact. This happened. Learning it doesn't change that it happened, even though it might be embarrassing. Yeah. So why did this getting passed over for the promotion lead to fury? Well, it, maybe. And again, it's all going to be personal. There's no. This is not a, a one-to-one relationship. It's not prescriptive. But maybe somebody. <laughs> Exactly. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So maybe somebody thinks that, well, I deserve this job because I've been here for five years, or that person I've I've seen that person and they slack off a lot, or you know, whatever it is, there's there's a belief that led to that or why did that get so bad. So that's discovering what the money script is. Now you can do this in any area of your life, like checkout lines at the grocery store, but when it applies to money, work, income, spending then we'll call that a money script, that belief is a money script. So that's A, B, C. So D, if you want to keep going with this, if if that wasn't hard enough for you, <laughs> you can add D to that, which is dispute your belief. Mm-hmm. Now that you've uncovered what the belief is, you can start to ask things like, Well, is this true? Is there another way to look at this? Are there any silver linings to this? And you know, if somebody if a close friend of mine came to me with this exact same thing happened to them, how would I counsel them? All right, so you can try to take a more objective approach to mm-hmm. it, but pick apart your belief, just dispute it, and then you can go E, create an effective new belief. And you know, this is basically cognitive behavioral yes, therapy sir. if you're familiar with that. <laughs> but you're just trying to talk yourself out of these automatic beliefs, these automatic negative thoughts. And when it's about money, that B, that belief is called a, a money script. So that's the way you can self, you know, find that out on your own. Awesome.
0: Very cool. Okay, now going down the other path.
1: The other path is the working with somebody like me, where we're gonna we're gonna run headfirst into this. Instead of waiting for something to happen one at a time and then digging into it, I'm going to ask you or people like me are going to ask you questions like, What was your first experience with money? What did your mother or mother figure teach you? about money when you were growing up what did your father or father figure teach you about money or you didn't have a father what did not having a father teach you about money those are, so those are the first three mom dad first what's your most painful memory of money when you think about money what's the one that hurt the most what's your most joyous your most happy memory of money and these don't have to be big from the outside looking in like if you told me it uh, I would say, well, that's pretty small. That doesn't matter. It's how it hit you emotionally. Right. So there's, there's people who graduated from high school and their mom bought them uh, like McDonald's. That was a big thing. That was a happy memory of money because they didn't have money to go to get fast food. So the fact that mom was willing to scrape together 10 bucks or whatever to go to McDonald's, that was a big deal because that was the first time mom ever spent money on mm-hmm. me. Something mm-hmm. like that, right? So... It can be small. They we're talking about how it felt emotionally, not if it's a grand gesture. Or something.
0: Well, and that same in that same example, that individual could have also it could have been completely flipped, and they could have um, felt that you know they weren't worthy of something that was more exciting or expensive than McDonald's, right? So it really is a lot about how mm-hmm. it's perceived. Whatever, like you said, that activating event is. Oftentimes, not even something that the other person involved even recognizes that is happening. It's it's all about how we internalize something, which makes it which makes it really subjective. But for somebody like us who's working with clients, that makes it very. Um, I don't, want, I don't know if I want to use the word difficult, but definitely a challenge to... We have to ask the right questions to figure out what was going on, right? So that it's not just... We can't be assumptive with that because what you might think is different than what they actually felt in that moment.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. Right. And so, again, we're putting on our listener hats and we're not trying to add anything. Yes. We're just trying to help them get it out. And so the... <laughs> I've never achieved this, but my mentor, Ted who's he's the one who I went to the listening seminar on, his target, and again, I've never, ever reached this, but his target is 75% of the time, if if you've recorded yourself in a conversation, and this is a professional, maybe not so much on a personal basis, but 75% of the time, I should not be talking. You should be talking. 20% of the time, I'm talking, but all I'm doing is reflecting back what you said. That leaves only 5% of the time where I'm actually adding something new to the conversation. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a fascinating exercise that he had us do, and and I encourage anybody listening to try this with your partner or a friend or a child or something. Think of some topic and have the, the speaker talk about it, and then talk about it for like three minutes or five minutes and then i want you as the listener to write down all the questions you have all the questions that you would have asked if this was just how most of us talk we jump in we interrupt with questions we they call them roadblocks even if even things that are good like that's interesting tell me more if you do that at the wrong time that can be a roadblock on the road to my or the speaker's uh, articulation mm-hmm. so write down all the questions and then go back and just simply continue listening. And then when you get done with your listening, all those questions that you had have been answered. So you don't have to ask the questions. They will come out. It's just a matter of, uh, of properly listening. So that's what I'm going to be doing and people like me are going to be doing. And then that's just kind of the start. Then it becomes things like what think about all the major events that have happened to you, positive and negative. Can you think of, we call these financial flashpoints, but these financial flashpoints helped create your money scripts. Or think of what money was like for you growing up. Who controlled it? Who, what was the flow like? Who made it? Who spent it? Think about how, what the money system was like in your family system when you were growing up. And then kind of just ask yourself, at the end of that, we would say, well, what did you learn about money? What, what have you internalized about these events? what do you do now that you know was tied back to one of those events so we can start to piece together a picture of your money scripts your collection of money scripts based on everything that's happened to you growing up
0: yeah and i heard you use the word internalize and i think that's so important because these days a lot of a lot of financial gurus out there will say that you know we weren't taught By our parents about money. I'm sure you've heard that term before that phrase, you know, Oh, it's not your fault. You know, your parents didn't teach you about money. This is stuff that you know, you haven't learned yet in schools or whatever. And what I find very interesting about that is that on one hand, yes, we weren't specifically taught the I think you call the exterior financial stuff, right? And yet we were taught whether we believed it or or noticed it or not, all of this interior financial information. And it's because of how we internalize the things that were happening around us.
1: Well said. And, you know, you did, you were taught. You just didn't know you were taught. So there's a couple, there's two channels. There's direct lessons or uh, overt lessons. You know, you were taught always... You, even as specific as save, give 10%, save 20%, spend the 70% or money doesn't grow on trees. You should always save for rainy day. Here's how you balance a checkbook. There, some people did get some explicit lessons, but most of the time, this is from us observing the world around us when we're growing up. When we're growing up, our minds are, are new and they're absorbing everything. And we're trying to figure out how the world works. And that includes how money works. So we're we don't know this. We're like little scientists. We're creating little if-then statements. Like If this happens, then that happens. And if that continues happening, it gets deeper. Right? It, it reinforces it. If the second time it happened, it happened a little differently, then you okay. back to the drawing board. I need a new hypothesis. If this happens, then that happens. And we keep doing that. And that's that's how we create this rules. Those rules that we create are called money scripts that we, we're just observing and piecing things together. So, for example, if... Every time money was brought up, somebody started talking about money, there was a fight. I'm going to start to create some version of a rule inside my head that's something to the effect of, you don't talk about money, or money leads to fights, or money's a dirty topic, or something like that, because that's what happened every time I saw it.
0: That It's it's, it's so fascinating to me, like how, how it all happens. Uh, I'm pretty sure... And in fact, I know that you were one of the uh, first who shared a story with me. I found out earlier today that it was not your specific story; that it was actually written in Dr. Clance's books. But would you mind sharing that story? Because I think it's such an uh, an amazing flashpoint. It's a great example of a flashpoint that happened, and it was one that neither the person who was internalizing the information nor the person who had the experience like the father in this example, like he didn't, he wasn't doing anything wrong. Right. So I want to, I do want people to hear this example and recognize that it's not that there's anything right or wrong about this. It's just how things happen. So the more we can unpack the better without further ado, would you mind sharing that example that I know you know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah. So when we think about money scripts, they come to us in what I was just describing, which was soaking in and creating little rules about everything that's happened. The second way that we create them is through something called financial flashpoints. And this is kind of like the money version of trauma. Mm -hmm. Not a perfect analogy, but you can think of it like that. And a financial flashpoint is something that happens that totally changes. It's one event, one singular event that in a flash changes your views about money. And we have many of these. So this example that, that we're talking about is imagine a child. We'll call him Peter. Peter's outside playing in his yard. This is the this is the 50s or 60s. So he's playing outside, and then some fancy car rolls up into the driveway. Turns out it's a doctor, and so the doctor gets out and says, "Hi, hey, Peter, is your dad home?" So Peter goes to get his dad. Dad comes out, and the doctor says something to the effect of, "Hey, I'm here to collect your bill. You haven't paid your medical bills yet, so we need this, we need this money. Otherwise, it's going to go to collections." So the dad ran over to the doctor, grabbed him by the, the shirt and started punching him and, and shoved him back in his car and yelled at him and said, you don't care about us. You only care about money. You don't care about the, the life that you, you ended. And so in the grand scheme of things, what happened was they had this medical bill because the this guy's he was going to have a sister, this kid, Peter. So his mom was pregnant. They went to the hospital she gave birth the child didn't survive so effectively they the doctor didn't save this kid but it still is a service so they tried to collect on the bill when they got to the house the doctor said you owe us for this child birth services the doctor said no you killed my kid this is all you care about you're rolling up in this fancy car okay whatever that's fine that's between the doctor and the and the dad mm-hmm. right i don't i don't think that's the right way to handle this situation, but meanwhile, you've got Peter over here watching this happen. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the story, the dad looks over and says, You see, rich people like this, all they care about is money. They don't care about life. Peter grows up to have an anti wealth belief. He doesn't want to be rich. He doesn't know this. Remember, this is all subconscious. Right. But he, anytime he got a, a bonus at work, anytime he would receive any kind of windfall, it was gone. He'd justify it we're good justifying machines mm-hmm. i'm helping my friends i'm giving to charities but he would he was always broke and it was only after discovering that well wait there was a serious thing that happened that said don't turn out to be like this guy who only cares about money yep. so that's a intense flashpoint another scary one is a gal sally's at at her table this is also like in the 70s or 80s and she's in home economics class, home ec class, and they're learning how to balance checkbooks. They're kind of learning uh, all the stuff that we should be learning now. <laughs> how money comes in, how money goes out, what income is. And then but kind of most specifically, I suppose, is how to keep track of your balance in the checkbook and how to reconcile the checkbook. Wow, she says. I've never, I've never learned this stuff before, and it's kind of cool. So at dinner, she says, Dad, how much do you make? And Mom reaches across the table and slaps her in the face. And screams at her and says, we do not talk about money in this household. Go up to your room. Okay, so that is a serious event. Yeah. So what what will Sally walk away from that table thinking? And what will she internalize later on in life after getting beaten at the table for simply asking a curious question about something I was learning at school? Mm-hmm. Right, so everybody's got things that happen to them. Yep. And you, you can't change the past. All we can do is figure out what has what has happened to me that has shaped my beliefs and what are my beliefs, where'd they come from? And then give yourself permission to say, look, anybody who's seen what I've seen would behave the way that I behave.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, I'm going down a rabbit hole. And like you warned that we might do, uh, but then like my mind goes to that mom, you know, like what happened in her life that made it such a, such a trigger for her to have a daughter ask about, the finances, the family finances, you know. So yeah, it just it is so so fascinating, and it it would take me probably down several rabbit holes. So I, I won't go there, but but those are two very very poignant flashpoint examples.
1: Yeah, and you bring up a good point. Money scripts are generational, which means you know you grow up in a household where there was a family system, and the people at the top, you know, mom dad or single mom or whatever it was they're teaching you stuff indirectly usually Mm -hmm. but that's based on what they've learned from their parents and so your grandparents they learned from your great grandparents so depending on how old you are it's likely that your grandparents were the children of depression era Mm -hmm. parents meaning this is a this is a scary time this stock market's down 90 percent. nobody can find work you can't it's hard to get food People are moving across country just to find a low-paying job. And banks literally lost your money. You know, This is way before insurance, FDIC. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of beliefs around scarcity. There was a lot of beliefs around lack of trust in institutions. And so those people taught their kids, again, indirectly, but don't trust institutions. Don't put all of your money into one mm-hmm. bank. These kind of things. You should hoard food. And... And it's not going to be perfect, you know, because you're combining usually uh, two people's histories right. and, and they're going to raise right. a kid. And But they do transfer. So it changes a little bit. So if, if the first generation was you never trust any institution, those kids might say something like, well, I guess you can trust banks, but I don't trust the investment banks. And so then their kids might say, well, OK, I can trust, you know, Charles Schwab, but I'm not going to put my money into stocks. I'm just going to keep it in bonds. And then those kids might say, well, I can buy money in stocks, but I'm going to put some at Schwab and some at Vanguard and some at Fidelity. So they're generational, but the seed followed, flowed all the way through from you know four generations ago.
0: Yeah, which makes it very difficult. I think that's why a lot of the people who are very prescriptive with their services are, are frustrated with the clients because... They're, they have these prescriptions, and here's here's the system, here's the process that we would have you go into. You know, you're gonna go into these mutual funds, you're gonna get this kind of insurance policy, you're going to put your money in this type of bank, and then when there's pushback to that, it, it feels like they're just being resistant, right? Like, well, it, now it's on the client who's obviously got this resistance and and then they take it personally and, and don't really take the time to dig a little deeper and figure out where where is that seed, right? How what, what is the actual seed and how do we work with that and around that and through that so that the client can create that system that's actually going to work for them? For those people who are listening, Derek, and they're feeling a little bit like, oh my gosh, like, a, I'm screwed up, B, I'm screwing up my kids. Like, <laughs> how, how? I always joke with my children that I'm not going to pay for their college, but I'll pay for their therapy. Uh, because I figure that if I if even if I don't screw them up, totally, they're still going to find ways that I did. So you know, they I'll just help them through therapy. Uh, but having said all of that, what how do we how do we shift some of this? I mean, is it are we doomed? You know, how, how, if let's say you're working with somebody and they recognize, okay, I've got this belief and it's, it came from, you know, two, three, four generations ago. How do I switch that so that I'm not passing that on? How do we change the trajectory for future generations?
1: So 80, 20 rule, 80, 80 percent of that is accomplished just with the knowledge, the 20% of the knowledge, just knowing that stuff is a thing that knowing that you know, you, you follow the next logical step. If my great-grandparents taught my grandparents and my grandparents taught my parents and my parents taught me, therefore, mm-hmm. if I have kids right now, they are definitely learning their money scripts mm-hmm. right now. That can be enough, right? They, that epiphany that says, oh, wow, they're actually watching. They're like little recorders. Uh, I better uh, model good behavior, you know. So I think there's a trend. I This is anecdotal. I, I only think this. I can't point you to a source, but... I believe it's common for parents to not model good conflict resolution, uh, resolution, Mm -hmm. for example. So I'm not going to fight in front of my kids. We're going to go over here and fight, which means the kid, what are they seeing? They're seeing a couple of parents get angry and then go away. So I don't actually, as the kid, I don't actually get to see the resolution of this conflict. I don't get to see the negotiation. I don't get to see somebody say I was wrong. I don't get to see sorries and thank yous. I just see a couple of people got mad and they went away. Right. So knowing that, and, you know, to loop that into money, that could be talking about money, right? But if I know that these kids are always watching, my children are always watching, then I can start to say, all right, I can, I should model the kinds of people that I want them to be. And there's a, I, I don't know who to attribute this quote to, but there's a quote that it's, well, it's a question really. It says, do you want your kids to be safe or do you want them to be, strong. And so this is kind of a counter to what some people deem to be an overprotective environment Mm -hmm. lately. So if we're not helping kids learn problem solving, if we're not helping our children learn how to solve problems on their own, how to see that there's other points of view out there, how to see how to navigate, you know, talking about money or navigate a, a, a problem like, you know, I lost my job or I had an unexpected expense. If I don't see You, my parents, dealing Mm -hmm. with this, I'm not going to know how to do it. So that's step one is, like, let's let the kids see if they're old enough. You don't want to push the stuff on children that are too young. But then when they're older, then you can even loop them into how you made that decision. Hey, our car broke down and we have to pay for it. That's why we had this cushion over here, this emergency fund or this savings account. And now we're going to replenish that with money from our jobs, Mm -hmm. you know. Being more conscious about the financial education uh and well more conscious about modeling behaviors more conscious about understanding that they're whether you're like it or not are picking up on what's going yeah. on
0: yeah and because so much of it is subconscious uh and and because we're constantly learning and trying to better what we do and because there's the whole idea of do as I say, not as I do, but we know that that's not what happens, right? We know they do as we do. Where where do you suggest that we correct verbally what that which we know we did incorrectly behaviorally? It's so like I'm working on myself. I go and I do something that I know is not where I actually, what I want to do. I, I know that my kids watch it and see it and internalize it. Is it a good idea to then correct that verbally with them or is damage so done that we just have to let them go find you when they're old enough?
1: (laughs) Screw them up (laughs) real good and then send them my way. (laughs) (laughs) So it it sounds like what I, what I think the question is and and tell me if I have this wrong or, or right is here's the, this package, this is what I want to model this is what I want my kids to learn. I didn't do that. And they saw me break from
0: break my yes. own rule.
1: They saw me do something different from what I was trying to teach. So now what? Now that I'm this happened, what do I do? And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, and I don't think this happens enough for a lot of reasons. Namely, we don't like to show vulnerability. But there's nothing wrong with saying, look, daddy screwed up. Daddy meant to do this, and I didn't. So here's what I'm going to do to fix it. Uh, So just admitting when I was Mm -hmm. wrong, letting them see that I admitted when I'm wrong, letting them see that catastrophic thinking is one of our default modes. We always jump to the worst case scenario. So helping children see, you know, so this is what happens. I did this thing. I know that I've been teaching you to do the other thing, and that's my mistake. Here's what I'm going to do to correct it. It's not going to be that bad, Mm -hmm. right? So... Just modeling, again, so it's kind of the same, it's kind of the same uh, through line, which is I want to model this behavior. I didn't do that behavior. Okay, good. Now this is a learning opportunity. I can model what I want to show them how I want them to behave if they screw up. So it's just, it, it just keeps becoming new learning opportunities or new teaching opportunities. Yeah,
0: that's fantastic. And yes, that was ultimately what I was asking. And you did a fantastic job answering that question. Because I think not only do we do the catastrophic thinking, we also do a lot of binary thinking where it's like all or it's nothing. And so... I I know for myself and for clients that I work with, sometimes if we're trying a certain behavior change, once we we get so psyched up about it and and we're like, yes, we start to get all this momentum and then something happens and it's not as we had thought it was going to be. And if we're not actively aware of that and working on it sometimes it's very easy to go well I guess that's not going to work and we we swing the pendulum right back to the nothing side where it's like I guess that's not uh it's not how I'm supposed to do it right so back to the drawing board and our kids see that as well so that modeling is going to be really important to let them see you know yeah we we are working on bettering this situation or this thought belief that we have and we messed up a little bit but that doesn't mean that we throw it all away you know, we, we can actually just work with it, pivot, and and move forward. So I love that answer. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Humans make mistakes, and that's a good thing for people to learn. And the younger, the better. You know, there's still people my age and older that, that don't carry around that belief. But people make mistakes, and it's okay to make mistakes. And when you make mistakes, there are more effective and less effective ways to handle yeah. that. And that's that's all good look, good.
0: Yeah, and I think to your point about like safe versus strong, if we are so wrapped up in protecting, whether it's our children or our society in general, from all of the bad that could happen, they're never going to learn how to actually function when something bad happens, because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, right? I mean, there's just vulnerabilities all over the place. And so if we're so worried about keeping everybody so safe that we don't help teach them how to be vulnerable in that moment, then it's going to be a very difficult thing for them to get through and actually going to leave them more vulnerable right, because they won 't have the skills in order to then protect themselves, so I think that that's really true uh, in in a lot of areas, but also in the area of money. you know a, a lot of people talk about well you don't you don't need to give your your kid a credit card it 's like giving them you know a bomb and, and telling them here 's the button, here's the detonator button. okay, but if we are so busy protecting them from from all of the bad that could happen if they detonate that bomb we haven't taught them how to navigate that whole process because it's not a matter of whether or not someone's going to ask them if they'd like to open a credit card. It's a matter of how soon that's going to happen. So I I do think that that is something that's missing in a lot of the education that we give or even, even the internal one, which is we're so protective that it's to a detriment.
1: Yeah, and you can think of kind of different categories, physical, emotional, and money. With physical, people don't seem to mind. I know you're going to fall off your bike. That's how you learn how to ride a bike. Mm-hmm. I know you're going to get some germs. That's how you get an immune system. This physical stuff seems to be more accepted, both on like actual physical harm and illnesses. So if I never let you fall off your bike, you're never going to learn how to ride a bike. And if I never let you play outside and, and I'm always disinfecting you, you're never going to get germs which means your body's never going to create antibodies and you're going to get sick all the time and then be allergic to things that are who knows what it's going to be because it keeps evolving into silly mm-hmm. things. Mentally though, we have a psychological immune system. So if we're the mental uh, equivalent of falling off a bike is there's going to be people that that disrespect you. There's going to be people that get angry. There's going to be people that hurt you. There's going to be if I'm never exposed to those people, I'm never going to learn good coping mechanisms yes. for how to handle when that does happen. And that will happen because you're going to go get a job and then there's going to be a department where you don't get along with somebody. And if you can't handle the occasional, because you know, there's, there's is the same. Right? So everybody has their own baggage mm-hmm. going on with them, including the people that you're going to be working with. And so if there's, if you don't know how to encounter somebody who wants the same job that you do, You haven't learned how to cope with that, it's the same thing as not learning how to ride your bike or not learning how to get a, or not, you know, developing a physical immune system. So then the same thing with money. If I get a credit card and you're telling me this is a bomb and and I'm never going to be able to use it because I don't want you to blow up, you're also not teaching me how to use it. You're also not teaching me how to recover if I detonate that thing accidentally. And you're not teaching me how to learn from mistakes. And you're not teaching me how to, you know, effectively manage. Paying for it and getting a statement and, and all those things, that I will have to deal with, eventually.
0: Yes, I knew I could count on you to say that way more succinctly than I was able to say it, uh, and that is exactly what I'm trying to say. Is that everything that you just said? Um, I will. I will say this though, Derek, and um, w- without going off the rails too much, you mentioned that there seems to be a lot more of an acceptance when it comes to the physical risks and some of like even the the medical ones. I don't know. Like in 2021, it's starting to feel more and more like people are less and less willing to allow germs to happen, to allow natural immunity to take place. Uh, and I and I don't mean this in any any uh, controversial way. I just I'm. It's almost as if that whole idea of of safety is starting to seep its way into the areas where we used to see it. Like yeah, that's no big deal. That's normal. Like go eat dirt, right? Um, I, how, how do we <laughs> – this is a topic for a whole other day. I, sh- I shouldn't even ask the question. I can just tell you the question that comes to mind was how do we stop it from seeping into all of it so that we're, we're creating all of these things. Um, but, again, that's that's a whole really, really big topic. But do you see that happening too, or is it just me? I mean, it's okay if you tell me I'm crazy and I'm the only one seeing that.
1: I think you can see pockets of that. But I think, you know, like you said, this is probably – two podcasts worth that we could talk about just with this answer but i think technology has made has has made things crazier which means we are less likely you know so tying this back to the emotional coping Mm -hmm. learning how to cope with like opinions that this is outside of the world of money but i'm sure there's some money stuff but It used to be that I would have to watch the news or listen to the radio, and then I'd watch the news, and there was three channels, and then there was cable, so there was hundreds of channels, and now there's the Internet, which means there's this idea in behavioral finance that we have a lot of different biases. These are just shortcuts that our brains take. And most of the time, this is helpful for us, but more and more, it's not all that helpful for us. So one of those is called confirmation bias, and confirmation bias is where I have this idea, I have this answer, that I want, and then I go look for supporting evidence. And sometimes, so that's what it used to be. I'm going to go searching for reasons that this part of the argument is wrong. I'm not going to go look for counter evidence. Mm -hmm. Now, with technology and filters, because now you can just set up Apple News or Google News to only show me these kind of stories, (laughs) which means that I don't even have to go look for that confirming evidence anymore. And then you've got this idea called filter bubbles, which means... The way these ads work is it sees what I'm clicking on and the algorithm says, ah, he must like that. So now I'm not even intentionally doing it. I'm just being shown the stuff that I want to see. So now you multiply this over time and you multiply this. uh, The the more you do that, the more years you do that, the more... I don't even know that there's an alternative point. I don't even know that there's a Mm -hmm. counterpoint to this. So it's easy to find pockets of people that say we're not going to get any measles vaccinations or we think that the earth is flat or we think that the moon landing was fake or we think that there's aliens or whatever, whatever the there's pockets of whatever belief you can think of. Yeah. And that's because it's easy for us. And, and I, and anybody in any of those pockets, and I'm sure I'm in some of those pockets relative to other people, Mm -hmm. right? We're all in these little pockets and they think the same thing of me that I think of the alien people, but they, so that's one thing. It's easier to collect and find those people. But the second is, and I don't know scientifically of how big this effect is, but something that can be a small thing can look like it's a bigger thing based on how much coverage it's getting. Yeah. And so if there's, you know, there's this group of people, and it might even be a hundred people mm-hmm. that that think, uh, I don't know, I can't even think of a crazy example, but they, they think this crazy thing. And then the news gets a hold of it and it's all over every news channel for two weeks, three weeks in a row. And now it starts to feel like the entire world thinks that way. That's more common. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, there's a, it's a fascinating research has been done on this with. Um, oh, what are those? I'm totally blanking. Those crowdfunding sites mm-hmm. like GoFundMe yep. type mm-hmm. things where there might be a 100 studies and one of those studies was a fraud, or not studies, I'm sorry, 100 account. pages, okay. you know, GoFundMe yep. accounts. One of those was a fraud. So then the news says, look, this GoFundMe account was fraudulent. Mm-hmm. And now there's all these people who have no idea what GoFundMe is, mm-hmm. but they saw the story. So now that they think it's 30%, just because yeah. I saw, I never yep. hear, I'm not going to see the stories of all the times. This is just a perfectly legit GoFundMe account, but I will see the one that was fraud. And so now that leaks into my mind and it feels like it's more popular. Yeah. So there's a lot of different uh, algorithm based issues. So here.
0: you're saying there's hope <laughs> that maybe it hasn't really seeped into all of society, that it's just seeped into the few pockets that I've actually been able to observe. And so that there is a little bit of hope. And maybe even if we are now aware of some of this stuff with the money pieces, uh, that we can start to change the scripts for individuals as well.
1: Absolutely. And, and to change those scripts, that goes back to that ABC yeah. model where going through your history, going through things like that, helps you uncover what your collection of money scripts are. So then it's, it'll be easier then when you get to that C and say, I just got really sad. What just happened to me made me sad? Now you've got an idea. It'll take you less time to figure out what that B was, what that belief was, because you've done the work, the interior right. work. And it'll be easier to... Rescript that. So then, over time, you're not even having to log this down because you're, you've trained yourself to just think through this. Wait a second. Let me slow down. Is this really true? And then eventually, you'll just have changed that yeah, belief, which ultimately changes the challenge. It so many the times the consequence.
0: And that's so that's yeah, how we start exactly. to see right. change happen for people that they're not they're not feeling. I mean, that it's their belief that they actually changed, but because of that it's their consequences that they're seen as the result of that change. Thank you for tying all that back. That was fantastic. (laughs) Seriously, Derek, I could talk to you for the next three hours. I'm so fascinated by the information that you have. You are a wealth of knowledge. I love how you share what you share. Just because I know that the listeners are going to be like, how do I contact him? How do I at least listen to more of what he's doing? I'm actually on your list of, uh, it's your newsletter list. I love the writings that you do. You're great about taking things and just putting them into picture form, making it really, really simple for those of us who have those brain moments every once in a while. And I'm raising my hand for those of you who aren't watching. Uh, But yeah, so how can people find you if they'd like to continue to connect with you?
1: Yeah, so I think the the weekly newsletter is essays every week that come out you can find you can sign up for that at moneyhealth.blog if you want to and that's just weekly non non-salesy essays about the psychology of money and I yes. try to distill everything down to pictures mm-hmm. to to help visual communicators and if you want to learn more about everything that I do, moneyhealthsolutions.com, that's everything. You'll find everything about me on that. Fantastic.
0: Website. I will make sure that I put that in the show notes because I know people who are fascinated with this whole psychology thing are going to want to learn more from you. So thank you so much, Derek, for coming on the Make My to Behave podcast. It's been a true honor of mine today. I really appreciate you being here and I look forward to staying connected with you in the future. Thank you for having me. You betcha. Have a good day. As always, <laughs> you guys, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Make Money Behave podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about the Make Money Behave podcast by leaving a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. If you'd like to connect directly with Maria, text the word podcast to 623-400-5225. In the meantime, don't just make money, make money behave.